in and out really quick. Um, um, hopefully, about it says on the average about 10% of what I say tonight you'll actually remember, but that's okay. It might be the good 10%. So our brain tonight is pretty powerful. One of the things about our brain that concerns me is even though our brain can be our friend, it can sometimes try to be our enemy. And there's things like anxiety and stress and worry want to consume our brain and get into our head. And really, um, as we think, remember, so are we. And we've got to be careful of that. And it just talks about, um, in the, a research laboratory in California, University of Southern California, it just talks about the reality that stress can be incredibly damaging to our brain. Um, and, and the reality is that stress and worry and, and, and anxiety is the reasons that people look and, and, um, to numb the brain, don't they? Because there's so many thoughts, especially if there are concerns we have in our heart or in our mind. And of course, people go to extremes to try and numb those thoughts, all those thoughts, and just slow down the process of thinking. And we use all types of substances to do that, alcohol or drugs. People do that, and then some people uh, take it the other way, and they sometimes, you know, just to, um, because sometimes our thoughts are so bad, we sometimes try to pep up the adrenaline in our body, and we go for sugar or anything, food or anything like that, will just get us thinking or, you know, different. And, you know, that's a shame because that can be really damaging to our life. But this, uh, this university in America just talks about how stress and worry is the, is the most common cause of changes, literal changes in our brain function when you worry or anxious or stressed. In actual fact, it's interesting how much it affects our brain. Research has found that the stress and worry can decrease the brain size of certain parts of our brain. How's that? It actually can decrease the brain size. Not all of your brain, but certain parts of it. And it's been proven, a study they've done on some animals that were exposed to chronic stress, rats, had, and that parts of the brain, that they, um, they found the memory part of their brain actually shrank. Just slightly, but it shrank. And it talks about how, it, bring it over in the human terms, and when stress and anxiety and worry try to grip our thoughts, and the, in actual fact, they've shown that we have less brain function in the processes of stress and anxiety. Our brain doesn't function as well. We have many thoughts, but it doesn't function as well. And in some cases, even shrinks slightly our, brain, our physical brain and those parts of our brain that are affected by that worry and stress. That's pretty powerful, our thoughts, aren't they? Pretty powerful. Um, a philosopher called Marcus Ingus once said this, the soul becomes dyed with the color of its thoughts. In other words... Our emotions are affected deeply by what we constantly think on and what we continue to concentrate on. So that's why Paul probably says, he says, you know, think on things that are good and pure and right and just and worthy of praise and thanksgiving. Would you agree? Because if stress and anxiety shrink our brain and affect our brain so badly, surely wouldn't it be good that if we think on things that are good and worthy of praise and wouldn't they actually increase our, our, our brain capacity and make it more whole and healthy? I think so. So tonight, I, I just wanted to gather some thoughts of mine and give them to you to think about. And uh, five thoughts that we should never have. Five thoughts that we should never have. Straight away now, you're thinking of things that maybe there's some things you're thinking, well, I know the thoughts I shouldn't have. Let me give you the first one. <clears throat> Number one, 
Here's a thought that I think we just need to get rid of out of our thinking. Because it doesn't do us any good. It does cause an element of stress and worry. And it's this, life is just bad and that's the way life is. Life is just bad and that's the way. Now, I don't think any of us here probably think that genuinely. But you know what? There's times in our life when that thought will come along and try and rule your heart and mind. Oh, this is, life's just bad. You know what? Jesus actually said this. I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. The Christian faith is all about having life, having it more abundant, having wholeness of thoughts, um, having, enjoying life. That doesn't mean we don't have the bad things and challenges happen. We all do. But the reality is that Jesus actually said, you know what? Um, to believe in me is to believe in life and to enjoy life. And of course, we can believe that verse, but action it is a different thing sometimes. And so we've got to realize that a thought that you've got to continually get out of your life and saying, well, life's just bad. And, uh, you know, and that's the way it is. It'll never change. You know, it's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie. The mind can be the, the hardest battleground, can't it? And it can be the place where the greatest conflicts are, um, are played out. And our thoughts that we've got to think about. Now, now we consciously, some of us are, are more... Um, adapted to the reality of just thinking, always having good thoughts. And, but the reality is they tell us that 70 to 80% of our thoughts can be on more of the negative side. This is research says this. And so we mightn't think them for very long. The thing is, they may come in, they need to go out again. You know what I'm saying? It's the trouble is, is when they come in and stay there. When they stay there, that's when we've got to really be aware of that. Um, and, you know, with that thought, life is just bad, and that's the way it is. You know, half the things that we think that are bad never happen. Have you had a thought this week, and you thought, oh, no, 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 and you start to think about the possibilities that could unfold because this may happen, this, and you know what, it never, and you, now you look back at the week and you thought, never happened, never happened. And I would say a lot of the thoughts that we think that are not good thoughts, anxious thoughts, never happen. We just got to give, just realize that. Just got to take a hold of that. Um, tell the negative committee that meets inside your head to sit down and shut up. Don't think yourself into a nervous breakdown, into depression or hopeless defeat. The fight you've got to fight is in your mind. I think we understand that. But make your mind your friend, not your enemy. Your friend, not your enemy. You know, and the truth is we can't change what's happened in our lives, but we can choose on how we're going to deal with it. We can make a choice on how we're going to deal with it. And I'd encourage you tonight, make sure we realize that God, Jesus Christ has come to give us life and life in our thinking, in every thought we have, and the way we conduct our lives. I think none of us here want to live negative lives. But the negativity comes, doesn't it? So let me just go on to another thought that we should never have. Another thought we should never have. The way it is now is the way it will always be. That's a dangerous one. The way it is now is the way it will always be. Can I encourage us, don't confuse your path with your destination. Because the path you're on maybe right now may be challenging and difficult and it mightn't be all that happy and exciting. 
But there's a, bit, there's a destination. Don't confuse this is what it will always be because the destination that we're going to can be a much happier place. It's just that sometimes on the way to that destination, the path is a bit bumpy. So don't confuse this is, the, this is where I'll always be. This is where my life will be camped. No, not at all. In actual fact, God doesn't say that at all. Um, I, I love the story in Matthew chapter 8. You know the story. Jesus had just preached to a crowd, a multitude of people, and he says to the disciples, uh, let's jump in the boat And uh, in, in verse 18, and he says, let's go to the other side. So they jump in the boat. The destination is where? Come on. It's the other side. Let's just say it together. The other side. The destination is the other side. But of course, as they jump in the boat, Jesus is at peace with life. He jumps in the back of the boat. He falls asleep. Uh, a storm breaks out halfway across the Lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee. The disciples um, obviously hadn't seen many storms like this before because they're so scared and so afraid. The boat is about to capsize. The water is coming in over the top. The wind is incredibly strong. And, they, and they're afraid for their life. They feel they're going to drown. It must have been a pretty enormous storm. So they went and got, woke Jesus up. And Jesus stands up and he, and he calms the wind and he, he calms the waves. And he says, you have little faith. And then they continue on their destination and they reach the other side. I just want you to understand that there's a God who says to you, we're always going to the other side. But, you know, sometimes we, we forget the realities and we look at the present circumstance and turmoils in life and we start to dwell on that when we should be dwelling on the destination and not the path we're on at the moment. You know what is being said? So the way it is now is not always the way it will be. Would you agree? Amen? Who wants that to be that way? That's for sure. There's always a better day, isn't there? There's always a rainbow that God wants to take us to. There's always a better... That's the nature of the Christian faith is always faith and, and stepping out and stepping forward. And, and so be patient. Because if you're on the path, it's okay. Take your time. Because the destination is where you're aiming for and it's a better place. It's not always going to be the way it is now. It's more important to know where you're going. And, and, and don't hassle. If you're not getting there quick enough for your liking, continue to move on that path. Continue to move through it. And every time you're tempted to react to the old, same old way, to the same old circumstances, ask yourself, do I want to be a prisoner of the past or a pioneer of the future? It's a question that I keep on wanting to ask myself. I'm not going to be a prisoner to the past. I want to be a pioneer of the future. Don't mistake in your path right now as the destination that you're going to end up in. Here's another thought, another thought we should never have. Life is supposed to be easier than this. I think it's a dangerous thought. Uh, the reason I think it's a dangerous thought is life is because you set yourself up uh, for this um, uh, failure sometimes. Well, life is supposed to be, I should be happy and there should be, you know, pots of gold everywhere in my life. And, you know, yeah, look, I, I agree. I think the Christian faith is incredibly faith-filled and incredibly positive. Um, but the reality is, is that we face, uh, we do face our challenges. But the thing that I don't focus on the challenge, I focus on, I say, well, if something is worthwhile, it's usually never that easy. If something is worth, you know what I've discovered in life? If I really want to reach the goal, it's going to take a little four-letter word called work. And we've got to press forward for it. Press forward for it. Um, 
Someone once said to me, do you want to be an oak tree or a mushroom, James? And I had to think about that, and they said, well, tell me the difference. And they said, well, an oak tree takes, sometimes it takes decades to grow. In actual fact, it can be even 100 years old, and it still can be growing. An oak tree grows strong and tall. It takes so long to do it. And, you know, the wind comes against it. The climatic conditions come against it. And yet it only helps the oak tree to take its roots and bury it down in the soil and grab onto something strong and boulders and all that type of stuff in the soil. And it only makes the tree stronger. And the tree lasts, but it takes a long time for it to get to that size and to establish it. But it's an incredible, wonderful process. It takes work. But you know, the finished product is incredible and magnificent. I said, well, that sounds good. What's a mushroom? And they said, a mushroom? Well, a mushroom springs up within a morning or a, uh, that evening. And you know what? It, can, it has no roots into the soil. It can be easily squashed, easily kicked, easily knocked over. And even if someone doesn't destroy it, it's gone within 48 hours. That's a mushroom. I I thought, well, you know, my, I want to be an oak tree. And, you know, that's a reality for all of us. Um, and, you know, we can think sometimes, well, life should be easier than this. But, you know, the reality is, is that there's, there's a joy that comes when we see, come to the end result. And we think, well, I really did work for that. There's something about saying, hey, I accomplished that goal. And, if, and I'm not saying that life can't be kind of easy. I'm just saying the reality is don't have that attitude and you won't set yourself up for an emotional letdown saying, oh well, we're facing the struggle right now. Facing the issue. Don't expect things to be given to you. Go out and achieve them. It's the only sane way to deal with life's challenges. If it's worth having, it's worth working for. Anyone can run away and waste away. It's super easy to do nothing, isn't it? Super easy to sit back and say, "Ah, oh, well, such is life." No, it's not. It's not challenges, uh, facing challenges, working through them—that what make, makes you strong. Uh, talk can be cheap. Action is priceless. Action is good. So I think it's a bad uh, thought. Life is supposed to be easier than this. You know, um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter eleven. I love this passage, um, verses 20 to 30. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, if you just break this passage down, first of all, it says, Jesus says, Would you come to me who are heavy laden, who are maybe anxious, maybe stressed, maybe consumed with all these thoughts that want to bombard our brain? Would you come to me? And you know what? In the midst of that, I can give you rest. That's a, that's a good promise right there. Give you rest. It's not so much physical rest because often we'll never get physical rest until we get rest in here. Until we get a peace and a contentment and a joy and a patience and a self-control. Until we get those fruit of the Spirit in here. You'll never... Uh, physical rest is a, a product of our emotional rest our thoughts just resting and then it says take my yoke jesus says would you take my yoke well you know a yoke in in, in cultural israel was always you know across the back of the neck around the shoulders of the two oxen they would be yoked together and they'd pull the plow 
And Jesus said, would you yoke yourself with me? In other words, he's not saying that I'm going to take away all things from your life. I just want you to be connected to me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your... Now, Jesus takes it a bit further. You'll find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your emotions. That's what, he's, that's what the word souls mean. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The truth is, even with Jesus, you still have to work. It's just that in the midst of the work, uh, you'll find that it's easier and lighter because he gives you rest in your emotional being. We all have to do stuff. We all have to work. But the reality is when we are at peace with ourselves, it becomes so much easier, so much easier to do life. Um, when we can go into the day uh, realizing that uh, he's the one uh, that uh, gives us peace, gives us real ho- ho- joy, uh, man, the problems are still the problems, but they're nowhere near as big, are they? They're nowhere near as big. Uh, we can deal with them. And often his peace gives us conscious thought and gives us logical reason. Do you know another research, when they research stress, what happens is when you have stress and anxiety, the part of your brain, in the front part of your brain, um, actually uh, is where reason and logic comes from. And they talk about stress and anxiety. Um, it, 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 um, it doesn't allow the blood to flow as easy to that part of the brain. So you don't have logic. You don't have reason. Stress and anxiety, as uh, we were talking last week, um, Pastor Andrew Einstein mentioned, a lot of your blood flows from those parts of your brain and flows into your body ready for um, some kind of uh, you know, fight or flight thing. Um, and so you lose that capable thought of thinking logically in the midst of sometimes stress or anxious thoughts. Do you know what I'm saying? And it creates a problem. But when you have peace, um, the flow of blood is there, and so you can think logically. You can reason out stuff. You can, you can go through life, wow, why didn't I think of that before? And it's all because you've taken a moment just to allow peace. His burden, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. We find rest in our emotional being through him. Here's another one, thought that we should never have. Uh, it's easy to blame someone else. That's a thought we should never have. Uh, because it, the reason it's a thought we should never have is too, too many of us only take, sometimes it's easy for me, and as I look back over my life, to create, take credit for the positive things, positive outcomes. In other words, we take full credit for the successes, but, I, but I've acknowledged, you know, when I was growing up in school, I, I'd really appreciate all that, when I got good exam results, Mum and dad were happy, and then I get some bad exam results, and I'd make excuses. Well, you know, you know, I, they didn't teach me that information, and I'd try and tell and convince mum and dad that it wasn't my fault. And you know, it always was. And you know, when we blame something else, we'd like take credit for the success, but we pass on the failure to something else. When we don't take responsibility for it, we never allow ourselves to grow within our lives. We've got to realize, take responsibility. To grow emotionally, you must be willing to take responsibility for all actions and outcomes, success and failures alike. When we take responsibility. It's, it's a good way to live life because then you start to own up to those things and you can start to change. But when you never own up to your, what you did wrong or, or you're always blaming something or someone else, then you never allow the opportunity 
to face that and to work through it and to go on stronger. So it's a bad thought to have. Simon Peter in Luke chapter 5 was in a, was, had just fished all night. He was tired. He'd caught nothing. Jesus had finished preaching to the multitude on the Lake of Galilee. He says to Peter, let's go out into the deep and put your nets down and pull up some fish. Peter reluctantly did that. He found that he caught a miraculous catch of fish, so much so that the boat was about to capsize because there's so many fish. He had to call John and James over and their boat and their boat. It was just a miraculous catch of fish. Now, right there, Peter, we could, we could, um, we could take the story this way. Peter could have thought, man, this is an incredible thing. All I have to do is have this guy, because Peter didn't know Jesus really well at that stage. This was just at the start of their, their meeting and their, their um, introduction to each other. And, and Peter probably could have thought, man, if I just get this guy in my boat every time, I've got a great business going here. I can do really well. I can catch fish all the time. You know, but you know, the reality is Peter didn't think that. He didn't take the credit for the catch of fish. But not only did he not take the credit for the catch of fish, he owned up straight away in that boat right at that moment to his own responsibility of his past life. And he looked up at Jesus and actually knelt. And with a heavy heart, he said, Jesus, away from me because I am a sinful man. What was he doing? He was acknowledging and being responsible for his own life. He wasn't, you know, Jesus didn't necessarily... Uh, try to draw that out of him. But he just, in the, in the face of this miraculous catch of fish, he knew that this, this was an incredible someone special. And right at that moment, I think he had something of a revelation that this was, this was the Son of God, and he realized that he was a sinful person, that his failures and his past were all needed to be put out in the open. And you know, when Peter went back to the shore... His revelation and his heartfelt humility and he's taking responsible for his life. He didn't, you know, take the fish and try and sell them. Quite literally, he left it all behind, probably gave it to the multitude and he followed Jesus and he became fishers of men. And, you know, when you take responsibility for your life, it moves you into your destiny. It really does. And so it's a thought that we need to be careful. And I don't think for a second any of us would actually... Consciously, or well, you know, consciously say, well, knowing it's our fault, blame anybody else. But you know what? There's always that temptation, and I find even these days that sometimes, you know, something doesn't go well, and my mind can straight away go to the fact that, well, um, who done the wrong thing, or what was the problem here, or what was the problem? And you know, what I've got to do is, if I, uh, when I come down to it, it's all about me and what I just need to take responsibility for. Even someone, even if. You know, in, in the life of the church, that someone fails in what they do, I've really got to take responsibility myself and say, hey, just wait a second, did I help them to succeed or did I neglect it to do that? And my part in it, if I take responsibility, maybe I neglected to help them succeed and thus I can learn from that and I can help them succeed instead of blaming, oh, well, they blew it, they blew it. You know what I'm saying? In our families, we see our children blow it. There's some elements of responsibility we've got to take as parents. And they might have made bad decisions. You know, I'm talking about when they're young. When they get older, obviously, they make their own decisions. But, you know, we've got to... And it helps us grow. Here's the last one. Thought we should never have. 
it's too late. I've missed my chance. I've blown it too many times. That's a lie of the devil, isn't it? I, I want to encourage us, get rid of regrets. Um, don't have excuses because the excuses are for people who have given up. We're not given up. We're still there trying. We still want to grow. Our best chance is happening right now. Right now is an opportunity to live life. Um, uh, it's never too late, isn't it? It's never too late in God's, in God's kingdom. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul said this, You know, brothers and sisters, I don't count myself to have apprehended this, but one thing I do is forgetting those things, things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. I love that last little verse there. Is Therefore, let us have this mind. Have what mind? That we're pressing towards the goal, that we haven't given up, that we're going to continue to go forward, that the best is yet to come, that life is it's not just about now, but it's about what happens in the next couple of days. That There's always something that's, that's good that lays ahead in God's kingdom. And if, you know, um, <coughs> that we don't need to look behind us. Sometimes we might take a little look just to remind us where we've come from, but, but by the fair share of life is that we're focusing on the, what we're moving into to, and that life is there's a better day the best is yet to come for all of us you say oh I'm getting I'm getting fairly old now I tell you what the best is yet to come that's for sure Paul said it he said come on and that's often that's often why I think our rear vision mirror in our car is so small and our windscreen so large because the majority of time is you need to spend looking at the front and not looking at the back and sometimes it's a dangerous place as you're always looking in the rear vision mirror. Always. Never meant to be that way. You can't drive a car looking in the rear vision mirror. You've got to drive a car looking at the front windscreen of the future. Come on. Where are we tonight with our thoughts? Where are we? Where are we setting? See, Paul said in Colossians, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Does that mean we don't face reality here on earth? No, 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 far from it. We face reality here on earth. But, you know, when we've given a heavenly perspective, we can face the earthly issues. When we continue to have a heavenly perspective of what, how he sees it, that's what it's talking about. We see life different in how we face the realities of today, tomorrow, and next week. But if all we have is an earthly perspective on an earthly problem, mm, it doesn't work. But, you know, when we have a God perspective, God perspective. You know, I was flying uh, between here and Brisbane, and it was a clear day, and so I could see the Bruce Highway. And uh, there was a guy in a car traveling along uh, uh, a stretch of road um, behind a massive big double B truck. Um, it was pretty small because, you know, we're 10,000 meters in the air. But I could see it. And, and you could just see he'd pull out slightly and go back again, pull out slightly. And I thought, mate, if you just waited about five minutes, there's a, there's a um, you know, there's a, um, what do they call it, passing lane, just about 10, 10 kilometers up the track. I could see it. You know, I can see the whole Bruce Highway up there. And isn't that a wonderful perspective on how life is? And when you're down on the earth and you, you get the double B in front of you, you don't know where you pass or what to do. It's difficult. But I want to tell you, when you get a bit of a different perspective, uh, you, can, you, you know you just be patient because the opportunity will come. 
And we don't live life at 10,000 metres. We live life at ground level. But our God has a different perspective. And when we tap into the source, that's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light, because he shows us far more than we'd ever see in just our natural eye or understanding. Give the musos back, guys, that'd be great. There's a story in Mark chapter 5, and Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee. And he came to the shore. And when he came to the shore, uh, he was met by uh, one gospel writer says one demon-possessed man. Another gospel writer says two. The issue isn't so many whether it's one or two. The reality is, is that Jesus, what he did was with the demon-possessed man. It says he had a legion of, of demons. That's a lot of demons. And Jesus quite literally uh, delivered him of those demons. Now, the story leading up to that, some of you know it, and let me remind you, was the fact that this man lived in the graveyard outside a certain town. And at nighttime, he'd scream and yell and carry on. And so much so that people wouldn't come into town that way. They'd go around to get into town a different entry point. It it was what nightmares were made of. The demon-possessed man would cut himself. He'd scream. He was naked. I mean, far out. What a life this. And, and this town was, you know, had to live under this kind of, uh, this man who lived on the outskirts of their town. And Jesus comes along with one word. He's delivered of these demons. And they go into the pigs and blah, and the rest of the story happens. But the interesting thing is what Mark says in Mark chapter 5, verse 15. And they came to Jesus. And when they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, he was sitting there dressed in, in his right mind. In his right mind. Here is a man who was so out there, possessed, cutting himself, naked. It says in one version of the Gospels that they used to chain him and that no chains could hold him. He was, he was stronger and they used to jump on him and try and hold him down and he couldn't be held down. He was just a crazy man. So out of his mind, so demon-possessed. And yet now we see with one word, and Jesus speaks to him and he's delivered. And, it's, and Mark makes the point of saying he's in his right mind. You notice what Mark doesn't say. You know when you look at Scripture, you need to understand as much as what's being said as what is not, being, what is not said because it speaks to you as well. Mark doesn't mention that he was no longer roaming the, grove, the graveyard. He could have said, well, this man was no longer roaming, roaming the graveyard. He was no longer cutting himself with sharp stones. He didn't have to be held down. He didn't have to be chained. He wasn't screaming out in the middle of the night scaring everybody. He was, the, Mark doesn't say any of that. He wraps all that stuff up in two words in his right mind. The point is, the point is, if Jesus can take a man so far gone, what could he do with our lives when we face what we face and the realities of our thinking and the struggles on a daily basis? Can't he help us be in our right mind? Amen. He can. It can. I'm one of those who are just coming. We're just going to have communion tonight. And I'd love you just to come and distribute the, the emblems, please, those who are doing it. Mark says nothing of what he wasn't doing. Mark just says of what he was doing. He was in his right mind. Um, 
you know what? God is calling you just to have a right mind, right thinking. It's not going to happen necessarily in one hit, but it's as we continue to lean into him and push into him, and even worship tonight, if that would be my prayer, and believe it's God's prayer, that we would just be in our right mind so we could think straight. That we could continue. Because when you think logically, when you think godly, when you can think with his presence in your heart, man, you make life goes so much better. And decisions are made so much better. So much better. And tonight as we take these emblems, they're just... It's just a little cup of juice. It's just a little biscuit. In the, in, in the Bible, in Hebrews, it says, have this, the same mind that Christ had. Let this mind, it actually says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind did Jesus Christ have? Well, it was talking about the realities that he did. He became human he humbled himself. He bowed his heart to his heavenly Father's will. And he yielded to his heavenly Father. And in yielding to his heavenly Father, he went to the cross. That's what it's talking about. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Yielding his heart, yielding his life up to his heavenly Father and saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? That was, that's the kind of mind that Christ wants us to have, yielded to him, because God knows that we're continually... Um, um, you know, continually facing the realities of a mind that wants to be pushed around by pride and self-centeredness, a mind that what's constantly is told lies by the enemy and wants to be fed negative stuff. Christ had, he faced his enemies, but in the end he'd done his Father's will and he yielded to his Heavenly Father and he went to the cross and truly he had a battle of the mind. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating, literally tears, uh, uh, sweating blood because he was so embattled in his mind. He said, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But in the end, he says, your will be done, not mine. And so he yielded his heart to God. And, you know, sometimes the battle is us just yielding up to God and surrendering our hearts to him. And I wonder tonight as we just take communion that we'd acknowledge that we, and we'd ask God, help us to have that same mind. Jesus, well, Heavenly Father, that your son Jesus had. We would be surrendered to him, not to lose our life, but to actually gain life. To gain life. And Jesus Christ, in dying for us, he shed his blood, his body was broken. And in the end, his life, he, was, he had life because he was then finally seated with his Father in heaven. His death was not always going to be that way because there was a resurrection and then there was a glorious day when he was with his father again. It had been a while for Jesus. It had been 33 years since he'd been with his father. He was now back there. And you know, there's, there's always... His death was so that we may live. And he took that cup with his disciples after they'd had supper and he, and he said, this is my blood, represents my blood, and it's a new promise I make for you. And then he took the, he took the bread, of course, and he broke, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat and drink in remembrance of me and what I've done for you. And then I think we connect it to that verse that says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. He yielded his heart, yielded his life, so that we, he may be, he'd know, be able to do God's will and so that we could as well. Could we stand tonight just for a moment? Take this cup.
in this biscuit. And let me uh, just pray, hey? Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he died and that he, of course, in his death, his body was broken, his blood was shed. This cup represents that blood. It's the new promise you've given to us of life, that we don't have to die. You've done it once and for all. Um, this, this biscuit represents your body. Your body was broken cruelly with the whips and the thorns and uh, the sword in the side so that we didn't have to go through that. We thank you for that. We thank you for the gift of life that you've given us because if it wasn't for your death, we wouldn't have life. Uh, we thank you tonight. We thank you for your incredible love for us and your mercy and grace that you've made it so that Jesus died and then, of course, rose again so we could be victorious as well. And we eat and drink tonight in remembrance of that. And we thank you. And, Father, we also remember the realities that you want our heart yielded, to have, your, have Jesus' thoughts as our thoughts, his attitude as our attitude, yielded, surrendered to you as our Heavenly Father so that we could live. In Jesus' name. So let's eat and drink in remembrance of him tonight.